Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. We had the opportunity in May of 2019 as a family to go to the Netherlands. My wife had just finished up grad school and we wanted to celebrate and we all went together to the Netherlands to visit some friends. And while we were there, we took an extra little trip down to southern France because flights were cheap and whatever. So we went down there, we we go down to southern France to hang out for a couple days. And while we were down there, we rented a car. Now, if you rent a car in Europe as a family of five, you get a car that's basically the size of a roller skate. And so we got into that little car. Uh, If you've seen like Inspector Clouseau or something like that. It's basically think like that. We get into this little car and we're renting it and, uh, and we're, 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 we're trying to find the you know, little French like bucolic village of our dreams or whatever. So we're driving around and we go to this little village and we, we spend some time there. It's really cute and fine. And so we, we drive back and we're driving back to uh, the city where we were staying and um, I'm following the GPS because I don't know my way around. I don't know where we are. And the GPS, you know how sometimes GPS just picks this really whack way for you to go somewhere? You're like, why did it, I'm pretty sure, but you don't know, and you're not, you're not from around there, you're like, well, I guess I've got to follow the thing, so I follow the thing, and it takes me on this little road in the country, you know, a little, like, charming French farmhouses and all this, but this road is like a little country lane, and I'm going up this road, and it's kind of on the side of a hill, and it is very narrow, but it's not a one-way street. It's very narrow. So I'm going on this, and I'm like, well, this is kind of narrow. And we're going along, and another car starts coming down the lane right towards us. And at that moment, I felt a little bit trapped. Like, I can't turn around. We have to share what appears to be one lane. Like, this is a little bit complicated. So as that other car is coming towards us, I pull over a little bit to make room so that we can get around each other. But apparently, I misjudged it and pulled over a little too far. And there was a ditch next to the road, right off to the side. And my car started to go down into the ditch with my whole family in it. And uh, it, went, it went forward into the right. And I slammed on the brakes. And the car stopped uh, with the back driver's side wheel up in the air and the car's just like leaning like this and we're all in the car and we stopped and we're like are we good it's one of those things like do we need to check the weight that we you know shift the weight is the car going to go tumbling down a hillside or whatever so we stop there my family gets out of the car uh and I get out like but, but my side is like up in the air so like I open the door and like jump down because the car's like up and uh my family I think in what you know like when they laugh like it's terrifying but they laugh I, they all start laughing at me they think this is hilarious. I don't think it's funny at all. Because uh, all I can think about is that I declined the optional insurance at the rental car counter. I was like, oh no, this car's got to be like 40 grand for this little roller skate. And I declined, they're going to get me. Anyway, we were able to get the driver of the other car with some sort of broken French. We were able to all work together, get the car back on the road. And surprisingly, there was not a scratch on the car. Don't know how that happened, but I feel like we totally dodged a bullet. It is now you know, in the lore of dad's a bad driver stories that we get to tell with our family forever, which was super fun. But it made me think about going down a road where you feel trapped and you're like, uh, what am I going to do? I can't turn around. I, I don't know what to do. I feel stuck in this thing. And I wonder if you've ever had that kind of experience, not just in a car, although maybe you've had that, but just in life, you've gone down a a road, a, a course of action. You, you've taken some steps towards something and you get down it and you go, oh, I can't, I can't easily back out of this, or, or if, I, if I try to get out of this, I'm going to end up in a ditch. And I, I tell you that to tell you that 
in Romans chapter 1 that we're going to look at today from the, from the New Testament, it's a little bit like that. It's a little bit like you're going to feel trapped. It feels a little bit like it, this, we're going down a dark road here. Uh, this is really challenging stuff. Um, and I think that's imp- it's important that we face it head on. Um, in this series, we're looking at pillars, these uh, foundational truths of our faith from the book of Romans one through chapter 1 through 7. And um, I think it, it'd be useful for us to dive in. I, I didn't want to do Romans 1 in, all in one week because what we talked about last week was like the good news and this is the bad news. And you, you got you to kind of have both sides of the coin. I, I really think uh, it's one of those deals like you don't appreciate the spring until you've lived through the winter. And I think this is a little bit like that. Last week, we told you about the good news of the gospel and what, what God is doing in the world and what God has done to reconcile us to him. But this week, uh, I, I want to dive into the bad news that actually sets up that good news. So Romans chapter 1, we'll start with verse 18. Buckle up because it's got some stuff in here. Uh, Romans 1.18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. All right, strong start there. The wrath of God. That is so heavy to us when we hear that. The wrath of God, right? You're like, oh, this is exactly the part of church I don't like or exactly the ideas of God that I don't like, that he's got wrath. Because we think Heavenly Father, we think our earthly father, we go, oh, yeah, my dad used to get drunk and flew off the handle and started, you know, being horrible in our family. Oh, so is God like that? The wrath of God? He's just an angry, uh, impetuous, like, is, is that the God that we have? Well, the word for wrath can also be translated anger, and specifically, it means like a slow burn anger. So it's not a just flew off the handle because you said the wrong thing kind of, kind of wrath we're talking about. It is, it is slow. Um, the Old Testament is full of examples when you read through the scripture. It's full of examples of God uh, showing his wrath and, and saying you need to get rid of these people or challenge these people or fight these people or go to war or whatever. Um, but that judgment that God brings against a nation or a people is always slow to, to come about. He, he's not like a, a short fuse. He gives people a long time to repent, to change, to do something different. Um, but I think... And this is weird to say, I suppose, in 2024. I think the wrath of God is actually a good thing. Now, hear me out. I think you want a God that has wrath on some level. And, and here's why. Because you and I know instinctively that the world is messed up. We know there are bad things happening. Uh, you can read the news and find out about wars and abuse and, and all these things like that in, in society. But even in your own life, like you may have been the victim of some horrible things or you may be even the perpetrator of some horrible things or you've been around in your own family tree. You've seen people lie and burn relationships down and hurt people. There is some rough stuff that happens out there and we've all seen it. And so when I say that the, there's a wrath of God towards these things, I, I, I sort of go like, well, I hope there is. I hope there's wrath. I hope that everybody who does evil things doesn't get away with it. I hope God sees what I'm seeing because it's not good out there. I hope there's some judgment in the world that ultimately bad people get dealt with or whatever. Like, I I actually think it's a good thing. And you know this if you're a parent. If you're a parent and your kids go buck wild, your job, your role and responsibility is to correct them, to challenge them, to discipline them. And if you don't do that, you're not a good parent. Like, you need to... and. I get it. It's challenging and all that kind of stuff. But, but we all know kind of instinctively, hey, man, when you have kids, you've got you've to 
direct them and guide them. And, and in sometimes you have to punish them for doing wrong. And so in some ways, this is just saying that, that God looks at the world and he sees some, what is called ungodliness or unrighteousness. He has um, wrath and he's punishing. Now, what is he punishing? This is where it gets a little sticky. Um, I can swallow the idea that God is going to punish sin. I would just prefer he punish other people's sins, not mine. Right? And I'm fine with God having wrath and anger about things that I don't struggle with. Honestly, oh, those people over there do that stuff. God's really angry at them. Not my stuff, though. He's, he likes my stuff, right? Like, we're cool? It's, it's very uncomfortable to think that, um, that, that God might even have wrath towards the sins that I commit. What, is he, what does Paul say God has wrath? He says he has wrath against all ungodliness and un- unrighteousness of men. He says who, uh, through their unrighteousness, they suppress the truth. This is an important idea. First of all, let me just say, there is a such thing as truth. Truth exists. It is real. And the wrath explained here from God is against those who are suppressing the truth. And I think that idea made sense in the first century, but I think it's extremely relevant to our culture now. Maybe I'm just getting older, and you can be like, Chris, you just are, and that's just the way it is. Uh, but I... I it, it seems to me like the line between good and evil or right and wrong was cleaner and easier to figure out a few decades ago. Not just that there are more, there's more information swirling about and more challenges and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's all true. But we have moved away from arguing just about an idea or a philosophy. We used to argue about a political idea. Your idea is right. My idea is right. Whatever. We used to argue about those things. Um, now we've moved into, we're going to argue about whether you can even know truth at all, and is all truth totally local and contextual, and, and um, can we even understand what is true and right and good in the world even at all? We've moved beyond, is this idea right, to what is right, what is truth? Can we even believe anything? Um, and so uh, we, we, we've been in this slide of, of truth and things get upside down pretty quickly and can get kind of nutty. In fact, Paul goes on, verse 19, he says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What Paul is describing is something that theologians like to call general revelation. In other words, God has given us something about himself just in nature, just in the world, the universe, in what he has created. There are things that we can know about. There are, there are ways that we can go, oh, there's power here. There's intelligent design here. There's something behind this of all of what we are, are, are experiencing. We can look at nature through a microscope or a telescope, and we can see that, in fact, as the Scripture says, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, and we can see some care and design in the way the universe is put together, and, that, and, and we can understand that we are not just accidents 
Um, the idea that the universe is just random, 13 billion years old, and it is random, and these things sort of come together through the slow forces of evolution. Um, the idea that that is the only story and, and the whole story, and that really we're just accidents of molecules and atoms and these sorts of things, um, that's, that's nonsense. Um, how, so how do, we, how do we get to this place where we ignore the truth around us? We ignore the fact that God has created the world and, and, and given us nature and all that. Um, he says we suppress the truth. I, I think partly we get there through an education system, honestly, that tells generation after generation that all you are really at the end of the day is just some sort of evolutionary marvel that, you know, um, single cells sort of formed and they came together and there was amoebas and all this sort of stuff and then eventually we got to you and we ignore the divine spark that set the world ablaze. We ignore it. This is called suppressing the truth. This is what Paul means. We pretend not to see what's actually going on in the world. Now this doesn't have to be you say suppressing the truth. It doesn't have to be Orwellian. It's not like 1984. It's not like, oh, well, there's this authoritarian thing where we're all actively suppressing the truth and uh, there's leadership in place and they're rewriting history and they're trying to get you to teach, you know, believe, newspeak and, and all that stuff. Maybe there's some of that out there. Um, but I don't even think it has to be that sinister to suppress the truth in our culture today. It doesn't even have to be authoritarian. It doesn't even have to be like, this is the official position that we are all taught to believe in our culture. Um, I think suppressing the truth in our culture sounds a little bit more like, it's just not cool to believe in God. It's just not cool. It's not fashionable. It's not what people in the know believe. People who are smart, who are well-educated, who are thoughtful and are kind of cool, they don't believe in that God stuff. That's nonsense. That's, that's not going to fly in the pages of the New York Times. You can't, you can't get into all that old, old-timey myths and fairy tale religion stuff. So we don't, we don't have an authoritarian suppressing of the truth. We have a, it's just not cool to believe that stuff, kind of suppressing the truth. And we, we, we somehow adopt the idea that, that the truth is what matters is not what is right or wrong, but it's that I am on the side of the people who believe the smart things. Paul says the Roman Empire, in, in some sense, has that. He's describing what happens when we, we sort of uh, get off the rails. And we have it too. We have God's handiwork all around us, and we just dismiss it. We go somewhere, and we go for a hike, and we see a beautiful waterfall, and we, we love the waterfall, but we never think about who put it there. We see a dazzling sunset, and we are amazed, but we never think about who hung the sun we see a mountain range and we are stunned, but we never think about who carved out the mountains. We see the creation, but we don't look towards the creator. Paul actually points us to that. You see this in our culture now that um, Paul says that people claim to be wise and they're fools. You see a ton of that in our culture, right? If you go through uh, medicine and, and, and philosophy and psychology and all the, all the different disciplines in, in culture, what you'll find is there's going to be some people in those fields that have gone so far into an idea that they've just like left the farm. You're like, I don't even think you're grounded in reality anymore. Like you're so smart. I, I, don't, even remember what the, I don't even remember what the idea was, but my brother and I were talking years ago about something. And it was just some crazy idea floating around in culture right now. And my brother said to me, man, you would have to have a PhD to believe that kind of nonsense. And I thought, oh, that's kind of funny, like, and I'm not, like, anti-PhD, like, absolutely get educated, love it, big fan. But there are people in some fields that go so far, they get completely unhinged from reality, from the truth. 
and they, they, they stop seeing the way the world actually is. So let's not fall into the trap of becoming so learned and wise that we, in fact, become fools, which is what Paul says here. So then what happens? He says, we exchange the glory of God for images. We, we instead of honoring God, we honor his creation. We worship his creation. We can do that. We can worship a, a pretty view or a beautiful city or something. But you see it a lot on things like Instagram where we worship a pretty face. We go, oh, instead of saying God has made this person beautiful, we just worship them and go, they're, they're amazing. They're, there's, there's this idolatry that develops around worshiping a person and worshiping a created thing rather than the creator. You see that all the time. That's why there are filters now on Instagram that uh, primarily girls use to make their face look perfect so that you can present yourself as looking perfect in some way um, on social media. And it's bizarre. And what is that? That is a culture that is exchanging the glory of God for images made by man. And it gets pretty dark. It goes dark, in fact. Let me read to you the rest of this, and this is going to be jarring. So verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with them and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to their parents, foolish, faithful, heartless, ruthless, though they know God's righteous decrees that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. This is a progression that Paul is talking about of where it goes in culture. And certainly if you go back and look at the Roman Empire and look at stories about the Roman Empire and the history of it, there's definitely a lot of all of that going on. But you can also see it in our, our culture today. Now when we read that list, it's interesting. I, I, I've noted, noticed that the Bible, when you read it, um, it always says a lot about who you are, not just about what it says. So your reaction to it says a lot about you too, right? It's not just what is there, the words that are there. So if you read the Bible as a 15th century Anglo-Saxon, there are things about it that would bother you and things that wouldn't bother you. If you read it as an 18th century Italian, there's things that would bother you and things that wouldn't bother you. For 21st century Americans, we zone in and we kind of focus on, oh, wait a second, he's talking about women sleeping with women and men sleeping with men. He's, he's challenging this, like, this whole thing of like the sexual behavior between men with men and women with women. And in our culture, you don't challenge that. You don't, you don't say like, hey, this isn't, this isn't the, 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 the way to be. Um, and so we kind of perk up when we hear that and we go, wait a second. And clearly Paul is saying that there is a natural way that the way, there's a way that the body has been designed, including sexually. And eventually people turn away from that and go down a road far from that and, and, and go on their own and, and go away from God's design. Um, and, and I don't have time to do a whole deep dive on that topic, but it shows up a couple times in Scripture and is worth mentioning. But I do want us to see that the, the fact that he goes to a sexual thing first is significant. Like if I could pull this room and be like, okay, 
let's just, we could do it anonymously or something. Go, like, what is the sin or the struggle you have the most in your life? My, my guess is, and I've seen this over the years, my guess is there's two things. One would be something related to sex, and two would be something related to money. These are the things that I hear over and over in counseling with people and talking to people. These are the challenging things that are the stumbling block for almost everyone. So the fact that, so the fact that Paul goes there, it makes sense. You're like, well, this is a big deal. How we handle our sexuality is a big deal. But he doesn't just go there, right? There was a long list that included, you know, gossip and slander and uh, licentiousness, uh, addictions, um, there's a, there's a whole bunch there. It, the, the, the sex part makes sense because, at least in our culture, because we have a, a culture that, in America in the 21st century, we have a culture that's very um, libertine or, or, or free about, about sex generally. And uh, I don't have time to do it now, but we could trace that back to the 60s and the sexual revolution of the 60s, and you can see the damage that that culture has created in families and in, in in parenting, in out-of-wedlock pregnancies, in, in all sorts of uh, sexual addictions, um, infidelity. Um, there's been a lot of problems that have come from our culture because of our culture's attitude towards sex. Now, you're going to sit here and go, well, that's just the Bible, and you're a religious guy, so you're just going to say that. Don't take it from me or the Bible. Talk to somebody in another culture of the world about America's attitude towards sex, and they can give you an earful as well. Unless you talk to France, they, they don't care. But like other... If you, there, are, there are cultures in the world where um, they look at us and they go, you guys are crazy about how you handle all things sexual. Like, so it's not just, oh, this is the Bible or I'm just a religious person. We have to recognize there's something going on. The culture gets dark and it goes downhill and Paul sort of traces that out. And we, we feel trapped. We're going down a one-way road and we don't know how to get out of it. So what can we do? How do we, how do we get out of the trap? I don't want to leave you with no hope here, right? It's not all darkness. Um, uh, let, me, let me read it to you. Uh, Romans 1.19 says this. Back at the beginning, it says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. Let me, let me just say this. Number one, stop pretending not to know what's really going on. This is our first way out of the trap, okay? Stop pretending not to know what's really going on. This principle shows up so often in life where we, um, we sort of conspire against ourselves and we pretend not to know things that are true. And I've done this, you've done this. This isn't like me being, oh, you, uh, you know, diet isn't working. And we pretend not to know that we sabotaged our diet with chocolate. We go, oh, I, I can never find a good guy to date. And we pretend not to know that the places we're looking are the same bad types of guys. Like we pretend not to know that. We go, oh man, my kid, those teachers at his school are just terrible. And we pretend not to know that the common denominator with all of the teachers that are bad and my kid is my kid. And we go like, oh, what if, what if it's my kid who's the problem? Maybe, you know, like we pretend not to know things that are true. And we all, we all do this. We pretend we are victims of all the circumstances around us. And in doing that, we actually suppress the truth, as Paul says it. We're not dealing with the truth. We're all pretending like the emperor is wearing beautiful clothes instead of facing the reality that he's not wearing any clothes at all. And he says we even suppress the truth about God. I mean, why wouldn't we? We suppress the truth about ourselves. Why wouldn't we suppress the truth about God? The whole universe points us to God. The whole universe screams that there is a, 
magnificent, all-powerful creator. But we pretend not to know that. Now, I, I, I can appreciate the fact that you acknowledging, if you're, if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm something like an atheist or agnostic, uh, I can appreciate the fact that you acknowledging that the universe seems to show signs of a creator is different than saying, and that creator is the God of the Bible. <laughs> like, I get that. I, I get that that's another level. But can we at least stop pretending to know, to not know that we have a creator, that there's so much brilliance and intelligence in, in the world? that there's a whole system to life that we are, we are engaged in? Can we stop uh, pretending not to see that? Um, yes, I know we were all taught sort of evolutionary theory as kids, but haven't you had enough experiences to challenge that? I mean, when I fall in love, I don't think, oh, this is uh, chemicals in my brain that are atomic, uh, subatomic level, and there's quarks at work in my brain stem here that is making me feel what I call love. Like, nobody does that. You feel love. You, haven't you heard a symphony and been so moved? Haven't you stood in front of that mountain? Haven't you seen that sunset? Haven't you heard the heartbeat of an unborn child? Haven't you seen the way a mother holds her child? Haven't you looked up at the stars and just been so overwhelmed with with the power of God? Haven't you experienced the joy of a great conversation that lingers deep into the night? You've experienced those things. And do you really go back to that and go, this is all just random chance in the universe and there's no meaning to any of this? Those things are screaming to you about a, a loving creator that is, uh, that, is, that is there. And maybe if all I can do right now is help you take that one step from... This is all random chance to, okay, I'm open to there's something. There's some, there's some power here. So number one, stop pretending to not know what's really going on as a way out of this trap here. And number two is get into the scripture to develop wisdom. Let me read to you Romans 1.20 again. Put up on the screen. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. We're without excuse. We know, we know that God is powerful just in what has been made, just in general revelation. I've seen this online. Maybe you've seen this. Um, there's kind of this famous idea. Uh, it, it gets thrown around in sort of like atheist or agnostic sort of um, realms where, where it's like, hey, if there is a God and you die and you stand before that God in judgment and that God says to you, why didn't you believe in me? What would you say? And I, I think I heard Richard Dawkins or somebody say this originally, but it's kind of been thrown around in a lot of uh, uh, different online communities. But basically, the answer is, I would say to that God, why didn't you give me enough evidence to believe in you? And I thought, that's awfully bold for the God of the universe, but okay, you, 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 you try that. See how that works. Um, but maybe the, maybe the answer is, why were you so, maybe the real pushback on that is, why are you so stubborn as to not see it? Like it's there for you. Now, nature is not enough. I'll acknowledge that. Nature is not enough to understand the personal God. It says his divine power, his eternal qualities. Like you can know that God is powerful by nature. You can know that God has some level of care for his creation by watching the birds migrate and how the things work together. But you can't know it all, right? Like there are parts of nature where, you know, bugs jump on top of other bugs and suck their brains out. And you go, well, if that's God, it's not great. Like, 
I'm not sure what he's doing there, but you know, like, so I, I, I get that. Um, but this is why we have to get into the scripture. Nature can tell me about God's power, but scripture is going to tell me about his love. We have 86 people in this church right now that are reading through the Bible cover to cover. Started in September, and we've been going through the Old Testament. So we're, we're deep in, in the, the thickness of, of some of these stories in the Old Testament. And when you read about war and, you know, some dark stuff that happens, mostly we, you know, oftentimes we sort of freak out about that. We're like, this is rough stuff that we're reading about. And it is. But, but usually what I want to say to that is, it is rough, but the ancient world is rough. We live in air conditioning. We are not ready for how rough that world was, right? Like, we're not, we're not accustomed to, if you read anything about the ancient world, you'd be like, this is some rough stuff. So it's not just the Bible, right? It happens to be written down for us. But I think what's really cool about reading through the scriptures like that is, even in the midst of the judgment of God, or these wars, these people getting wiped out, or whatever, you see these little moments where God shows care and concern and he's, and he's pursuing his people and he's giving them every opportunity to turn from their ways. He's, he's opening a door for them to walk through. These little glimmers of hope and love and, and pursuit that go all throughout the scripture. Uh, the scripture teaches me that, that stuff, that, that God loves us and that there is redemption and we need to read it and understand it so we don't go the, down these dark roads and get sort of trapped in, in culture. And we need to read it regularly. We need to read the scripture regularly. St. Augustine said this, it is, it is a disease of the mind which does not wholly rise to the heights where it is lifted by the truth because it is weighed down by habit. I read that this week and I thought, man, that is, that is it. We don't often rise to the height of truth when it's offered to us, when we read it. We don't often rise there because we have these habits that weigh us down. Habits of scrolling social media, and it weighs us down. Habits of the, in, the infinite scroll of consuming information, consuming doom and gloom, doom scrolling. Habits of doom scrolling that weigh us down, and we are unable to rise to the height of the truth. And so let me challenge you, not just to read the scripture, but just to do this daily. We've got, like I said, we've got a bunch of people doing it right now. We're going to start a whole another round of that in September if you want to jump in and be part of that. But even, don't wait till then. Just, just open it up and get going. You version, the, the, uh, the app has a lot of good reading plans you could go through. Uh, that could be a, a, a great thing. Uh, make a practice to read every day. It's not easy. Sometimes it cuts us. Even today's scripture cuts us. But it, it cuts like a surgeon cuts, Right? You can be cut by a killer who's trying to kill you, or you can be cut by a surgeon who's cutting something out and is trying to heal you. And even though it hurts, you know that there's healing on the other side. So these are the pillars from Romans chapter 1. The gospel is good news. God loves us. And we have blown it and find ourselves trapped. And there is anger about, from God about that. But he gives us a way to be free and to know him and follow him. And he gives us uh, hope and a future. Let's pray. Lord, I, I thank you for the fact that you have anger towards the things in this world that are broken and messed up and um, that you see them, that we don't just rage about them and, and think that you don't even know or don't even see or don't even care. God, you do care. And if you're a caring parent over your children, you do care about when we do each other wrong and when there's injustice. So thank you for being the God who sees, the God who sees injustice and is willing to push back against it. And thank you, Lord, for your son 
who dies for us ultimately to uh, make things right between us and you and, and between us and, and others. Uh, and that, that the injustice of Jesus dying on the cross serves to um, bring about your justice of pain for sin, but still loving us in, in humanity and in your creation. God, I pray all of us uh, look a little clo- more closely this week at the world around us and what you have given us. And I pray we see those moments, those things that point to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.